1: Hello and welcome back to All The Small Things, I'm Venetia and I am so excited to be bringing you this conversation with Paris Lees. Paris Lees is a writer, presenter and the first openly trans person to be a contributing editor for Vogue. She has just released her debut book, What It Feels Like for a Girl, which is an unmissable coming-of-age memoir, following the story of Byron Lease growing up on a council estate in a dead-end town in the East Midlands. It's written in an evocative vernacular style with an utterly immersive depiction of early noughties culture. Here's a short extract of the audiobook performed by Paris to give you a taste.
0: When we come out, I went to the edge of the castle and looked down the cliff edge. Not very good at working out ice, but let's just say we a long way down. They built these posh ices into the cliffs, but they just looked like dolls' ices from up there. A bit further along there's a cave that Uncle Roger used to live in during one of his episodes. I climbed onto the wall and stood up. Max tried to grab me, but I told him to let go or I'd jump. I said I'd be alright if he just left me alone. I was terrified, but it felt great. I don't know what it is about heights. I'm scared of them. Dead scared. But I'm not scared of falling. I'm scared of jumping. Because whenever I'm high up, I get this overwhelming urge to just leap off. I'm not suicidal. I don't want to die all right. It's just knowing that you can. How easy it'd be to do it. And how something so simple, so instant, can have the power to change your life forever. And sitting on the edge of Liam's bed, looking at that gun, I feel exactly the same way as I did on the edge of that cliff. All right then, Liam, I go, let's do it.
1: Now the book is not always an easy read as Paris's adolescence was highly dramatic with periods of bullying, a troubled time life, rebellion, sexual abuse and crime. This book is an addictively readable debut and it cements Paris as one of the UK's most exciting young writers. Please do check out the episode notes to order yourself a copy. I promise you will not be disappointed. In this episode we talk about Paris's writing process, how well the memoir would lend itself to television, the process of looking back, sexual abuse, her time in a young offenders institution, self-care and more. Please be aware that this is quite an emotional episode and there's some strong language in there too. Here is Paris Lees on all the small things. I would love to hear about whether or not you have some semblance of a morning routine or habits that you try and stick to every day?
2: The only real habit that I would say that I've, I've, I've stuck to consistently is I'm a big breakfast person. I, I, I do like breakfast and weirdly, so I go through phases and I think in lockdown, I've been having a lot of food that reminds me of when I was a kid right? I think particularly as well because I've been revisiting that world with my book and I think a lot of people have been reaching for comfort food, right? So there's been a lot of fish finger sandwiches and like Heinz tomato soup, obviously not for breakfast, but so in this context, I've been having Rice Krispies for breakfast this week. (laughs) (laughs)
1: also Heinz tomato soup I don't know about you but that was always the thing if ever I had a cold or I was
2: under the weather that is the thing that I always wanted it's am I allowed to swear on this of course it's fucking tasty like it's (laughs) so fucking tasty I'd love to say it was like uh, avocado toast or something uh but it's it's Kellogg's.
1: I think let's make Kellogg's a Vogue Girl breakfast. I think let's just
2: put that high up on the on the list. Now I'm getting really paranoid and I'm like, because I, I have this like big imposter uh, syndrome. So Giles Hattersley, my editor, called me up um, a few years ago. Like it must have been like two years ago now. And my heart was racing and I was like, I know what this is. They've had a team meeting and... Somebody's put a view forward and said, you know, Paris is not actually Vogue. And everybody's gone, oh, yeah, no, she's not Vogue, is she? And I thought he was calling me to, to say, we've made a mistake. We're very sorry, but we don't ever want you to write for a skein or for you to be associated with the brand. Actually, he was calling me to ask me if I wanted to interview Emma Watson for the cover. <laughs> um, so like I just so now I, now now I'm thinking, oh, my God, I've said that I eat Rice Krispies for breakfast. Then I, I I would just I will wake up and I would not my name will not be listed at the front of the magazine anymore. This will keep me up at night tonight.
1: I'm so sorry for playing a part in that. That's also such an incredible story. Next time I have severe imposter syndrome, which happens a lot, I might just remind myself of that story
2: to make me feel better. That's incredible. Thank you for well, sharing. that. It, it, it doesn't with us. make me feel better, but yeah. No, <laughs> <laughs> interviewing Emma Watson was amazing. But yes, uh, I am. I'm, I'm. I'm neurotic, as 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 you will see throughout the course of this podcast. I imagine.
1: Oh, okay. I'll keep it, I'll keep an eye out for that um but yeah let us dive in to talking about your incredible debut book what it feels like for a girl Paris it's a masterpiece it is so so fantastic and it's actually not necessarily what I think a lot of people might be expecting from you so perhaps you would like to tell our listeners a little bit about it and how it feels to finally have it out there after is it seven or eight years
2: that you've been writing it Seven years. And I think seven's a magical number and it's sort of the, that's sort of like your, your, your teenage years as well, isn't it? So there's this mirroring of the, the the seven year period that the book covers essentially. And and the seven years that it took me to write it, which have both been really intense, uh, important sort of uh, distinct periods of my life. There's just this really weird twinning, if that makes sense. Um, and, and it's like both, both things I'm, I'm closing a door on again. Uh, and it's incredibly emotional. But um, for, for people who don't know what it's about, what it feels like for a girl is about growing up poor, and uh, desperately unhappy on a council estate in the 90s, desperately wanting to escape. You know, I would have done anything to escape, and as you know, uh, because you've read it, uh, did do anything to escape. I, uh, I've, I've, I've come to realise actually through the writing of this that I was an escapologist. I just wanted to escape, and I did it through books, I did it through music, I did it through drink, drugs, sex, putting myself in increasingly dangerous situations and um I had a lot of fun but also got into quite a bit of trouble I think it's fair to say as well and and that's that's what my my book's about and it's uh yeah it's it's interesting because one of the reviews that I saw uh was saying you know I I hesitate to praise a trans memoir for uh being thin on sort of trans content but it was really refreshingly you know she doesn't go on about it and it's like well that's because it's not a trans memoir and I I never said it was uh you said that it was the person that was that was commenting and it's just interesting to me that I think some people that is what they're expecting from me but I hope that people who've been following me for years Will know that it's. I wanted to write a good story, you know, and I've had an interesting life. I think it's fair to say, Um, and yes, of course, being trans is part of that. But I'm sorry, anybody listening to this who's wanting a trans memoir. That's that's not what I've written. Um, There is some stuff in there because. I am trans, and I can't write a book about my life in which I don't mention that. But really, this is this is a coming of age story. You know, it's about the difficulty of growing up and 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 fighting for acceptance and fighting to be who 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 you are or who you want to be. You know, because you don't know who you are at that age, really.
1: So much happens to you in that seven year period, but the way you've structured the book is super concise. I personally see every chapter as a short essay. You can kind of read them as standalone pieces and I love that. I also love how they're named
2: after songs. Can you talk us through why you decided to structure it in this way? Thank you so much for asking this question and can I just say it is so lovely to be at this stage where I know what I've been trying to do with this book, right? And I've been working on it for like seven years and so to be at the stage where people are saying oh yeah it it was effective and it it did that thing that you you wanted it to do is like just amazing and absolutely you know my background is writing essentially essays you know comment pieces um first person pieces uh you know for online and for magazines and I sort of it was a way of me doing it was thinking, okay, we're going to do this chapter by chapter. Originally it was sort of all over the place and it, it it started with the voice and I knew that I had all of these anecdotes and funny stories and things and, and shocking experiences as well. And it was going to be much more free form. I think like two years into the process, I was like, this needs some structure actually like, like, uh, hello structure, (laughs) like structure it like a classic, three-act structure so um you know this is my story but I was looking and thinking okay is there sort of a timeline where the events of my life will fit quite neatly onto a sort of you know classic structure that you would use for a a novel or, or a tv script or something and and it did you know, and, and I think I I felt that I could tell a really, really distinct, discreet story at a certain time and place with a, you know, beginning, a problem, a middle, um, escalating conflict, and, and a sort of resolution at the end. And I really wanted the reader to enjoy this book, because a book really needs to be good, you know, if I'm going to sit down, because it's quite a commitment to sit down with a book. And we're in this sort of attention economy now and i was like i don't I, I want i want you to really enjoy every part of this and i just think for me when i read autobiographies and it's like and then this happened and then that happened because not all parts of your life are as equally enjoyable and not all of the interesting things happen in the order that it would flow in in the way if you were re- reading fiction and my big thing is fiction i read uh, literature at university and that's just what i enjoy reading and i really enjoy those voice-led pieces like the color purple like uh paddy clark ha 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 like train spotting and all of those little books like uh you know uh, lady Chatterley's lover and wuthering heights where they've got those regional dialects uh in there as as part of, you know, dialogue and and characters that, that have the accents. And and those things always really stood out to me as being really evocative and, and vibrant. And I thought, well, let's just do a whole a whole book in in, in, in Nottingham dialect because I don't really think it's been done before.
1: One of my favourite things about the book is just how rich the cultural references are, especially as I'm someone who grew up in the early noughties. So the music and fashion references that you make really just took me back. You've created such a vivid world. Was that part of it really fun?
2: Yeah, and I loved it. And, and this is the thing, you know, I got a book deal with Penguin and I, I was able to tell my story. And I thought, well, this is great. I'm not writing for a newspaper or magazine to their sort of, you know, I can, I can make this what I want. So I just wanted to make it like all of those wonderful things. And obviously, growing up feeling very unhappy, because I've been bullied, because I was unhappy at home and had a really difficult relationship with my parents. I was really drawn to those sort of immersive experiences right and i think that the the artists that we tend to really fall in love with are people who who create those otherworldly experiences you know so the the real you know the old icons like i don't know like david bowie or madonna Mm -hmm. um you know they, they they tend to have a sort of creative vision that you can just lose yourself in and I, it, I feel like a bit of a fraud in a sense because somebody else was saying, you know, you've created this universe, but really I've recreated a universe. You know that 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 was my version of of events at, at, at that time you know that was my experience of the world you know other people may have really been into you know indie music and Britpop you know it, it's it's definitely a specific point of view of you know growing up on on a particular council estate it's a particular. Time, you know, being a, t- a particular type of person. Also, there are those universal experiences there. And it was so fun. And I was going back looking at old photos and thinking, what was I wearing? And some of the scenes where I describe what I'm wearing, I'm actually looking at photos, you know, d- and, and literally describing the outfits. And I remember wearing them as well. And I feel like I've made a culture soup. Yes. Right? Like, because I love cooking yeah and the thing with the soup you can make a soup really simple with just like an onion and some stock and some vegetables but you can also you know add cheese or you can add herbs and you can add a bit of sherry you can add cream you know you can sort of make it as rich as you want it to be and I love rich foods and I love books that are rich and I wanted it to be really tasty for the reader you know I want I want it to be really full of anecdotes and jokes and little things that make you go oh I remember that and I had that pencil case and you know it was it was it was it was a lot of fun and it's really satisfying to to see that people are enjoying it on that level.
1: I hope this doesn't take away from the achievement of the book in itself but it did make me think have you created it with a view of potentially turning it into a series or a film one day because i just it would lend itself so well to that you know talking about you know looking back on those pictures and writing up your outfits based on what you were wearing in my mind i'm like oh i just want to see all these images in front of me in the way that you you know experience them
2: well i'm a very visually minded person actually and uh I sent over a really detailed mood board, for instance, with uh, lots of uh, noughties references like Maloco and Basement Jacks and all those bands that I loved growing up um, to, to Penguin. And uh, the designer, Tom Etherington, is just fantastic. And he's actually from the Midlands, which was just doubly Fabulous. And he totally got the aesthetic and the sort of visual world that I was trying to create there. I absolutely wrote this with with the scenes in my in my mind and what you were saying about, you know, the chapters feeling like individual essays. I mean, I'm also quite influenced by Alan Bennett and, and sort of monologues and they're absolutely monologues, you know. So in in my mind it is a book and I'm proud of it as a book, but that's only one part of the project because this absolutely has to be developed for screen or stage somewhere, you know. I hope somebody will pick it up or you know, if the worst comes to the worst, I will put it on down the local pub or something, you know, um, but it, it has, it, it's meant to be performed. I performed the audio book, you know, it is a performance. Um, it's quite dialogue heavy in places. Um, you know, I'm really trying to paint a scene. There's, there's real scenes that it it builds up to. And as I say, it follows that sort of three act structure. So, um, it, and the music as well, this, this came from it. So, originally I'd created a playlist to help put me back in that time and place and then I started assigning individual songs to particular chapters so each chapter had its own song to help me create a, a shape of the book in my mind so that when I'm you know, exercising or, or tidying up. I can listen to the music and think, okay, so this is that chapter, and it gets sadder, and then this this bit's energy, and then this bit's angry. Um, and I also put them into sort of chronological order as well. So you know, we're st- we're starting in sort of like two thousand and one, and we're sort of ending in sort of like two thousand six, two thousand seven, something like that. So you know, Y two K to sort of like mid 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 to late late nineties, and and so it was really complicated, and and, and I obsessed over it. It sounds obsessive, right? And it, and it, and it, and it, and it was, but I've I've got it all planned out in my head. It, this is the music for this scene. So there is there's a very 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 sad scene, and I've called the chapter "Barbara's Adagio for Strings," which is the the William Orbit version, uh, which I think actually was from a few years before. It was like from the nineties, but it was you know it's music that you could have heard in the clubs or on the radio, or that was that was around you know uh, at, at that time, and. And that's the music that's playing in the scene when they develop it. Develop it, as far as I'm concerned. And I, I would absolutely like to have a really hands-on role in in developing it for, for 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 film or TV. But who knows?
1: I do think it is. It's when you're talking about it, it does sound a bit obsessive, but in the best possible way because the payoff is just so fantastic. So, and also, oh. yeah, like you've made the people who will. I'm sure, take this onto other formats. Like you've made their job just even more enjoyable and easier and more fun and everything else. So I just think, I think, yeah, I think the payoff will just be fantastic and already is in the book. Now let's talk a little bit about one of the kind of big events of the book because I learned that the pandemic wasn't your first experience of being locked down because uh, in the book I learned that you were in prison at a young offenders institution that time must have felt very very scary I'd love to hear a little bit about that time and and how how you kind of got through it really and whether or not there were things that you brought into your daily routine to really help help you through that time
2: it's so interesting that you should ask that because I've been thinking quite a lot actually about when I was inside during lockdown because my housemate went to go and stay with his girlfriend. So I've been on my own for huge chunks of time, right? Which um, I haven't minded because I'm a writer, so I'm living in my own head anyway. Mm. Um, And it's just, it's interesting to me because I'm like, what was worse? You know, being in one room by yourself or... You know, at the time, it was the worst thing in the world to me. But actually, I did have friends in there, and and it and it gave me some time to think and process processes and think about the sort of life that I wanted to have when I came out of there. So, um, it's like so many things in the book; it's not clear cut. Some people were kind to me when I was in prison, and honestly, in many ways, I feel like I had more kindness there than I've experienced in in some some quarters of the British media actually, which is very hostile towards trans people sadly in, in 2021. And 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 I just find that very interesting and I wanted to write openly and honestly about that, that it was horrendous. And I literally felt like I was gonna die. I just thought my heart was gonna stop beating. I didn't think that I could survive for eight months in prison, um, but I did. And it's, it's very surreal to look back on it now and think, really? you went to prison you went I mean it was young offenders you know um and, and I was a kid you know it's just uh yeah it's 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 really weird looking back on it now because it's almost like it's a different person which is why I've written the book in the style that it is you know these things happened to me but um I've almost sort of come to think of that period of my life as 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 almost like it was somebody else if that makes any any kind of sense
1: no totally I think I think that makes perfect sense um and it, it makes me think more about the process of how that process must have been for you revisiting all of these things that you went through and through in that time, feeling so different to that person back then. Having gone th- through all of all of that and I know you've written a lot about kind of the therapy that you've had and and what it's taken to get you back into that time and through it again. How do you feel about this character and this person that, you know feel so far removed from you now that you've revisited everything can I just quickly
2: grab something to show you and then I'm going to respond yes so I'm going to show you something so this isn't this isn't to be shown online or anything but um I got these photos out recently which had been they've been under my mum's bed for like 10-15 years and um look oh my gosh oh wow so i so, so that's me when i was like 14 15 and i don't i don't show these right because i just think it's a bit trashy and i think it and it annoys me the way that the sort of media reduces uh trans people to a sort of like a cheap before and after shot you know and it's like what what did you what do you really look like what did you look like before kind of thing and um i just i don't like that 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 narrative, but I I don't mind showing, you know, you, and I don't mind showing, um, friends and family, but, and, and also it's, I think actually this is the one that really gets me.
1: Oh, wow.
2: This is the one that really gets me because this was taken on holiday and it was either taken by my mum or my auntie, and I'm, I'm just wearing, um, you know, a little pair of pants in this. Um, but it's, you know, it's taken with loving family eyes, but this is the body that we're talking about in this book, And I think this person's a a child. Yeah. And to actually see that and think there are men out there that took advantage of that really vulnerable young person and wanted to pay that person and, um, you know, do do things that they shouldn't have been doing, um, it really breaks my heart, actually. And I want to sort of go back and, and give that person a hug and say you poor baby, you know, please, please, please look after yourself. Um, everything's gonna be all right, you're okay. You know, you don't have to do this. You're worth more than this. And, and just please, please be safe. And maybe that's weird to talk about myself in the third person like that, but it's, it's almost been like a therapeutic device of facing what my life was like at that time. With, with the, the sort of wisdom of, of you know, being a grown up and um, the the insight of, of, you know, making sense of what that all meant. And I'm just trying to be a bit kinder to the younger version of myself and also just feeling very, very sad that we know that there are vulnerable kids around the world and up and down the country who are vulnerable to, to these sort of predatory older men. And um, we know that LGBT kids are highly vulnerable and it just breaks my heart thinking, you know, who is this happening to today? And, and the other, the other profound, because I've been signing the books. So we had like 2000 signed copies and about half of them I made sort of individual, some of them were song lyrics, some of them were quotations and stuff. And some of them were a bit more profound. And in one of them I wrote, there are other people with stories like this to tell who are not here to tell them now. And it's, it's just very emotional. It's very, 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 very
0: emotional. Mm-hmm.
1: One of the most interesting themes of the book is definitely class and also escapism. You mentioned earlier feeling like an escapologist. Do you think perhaps you kind of anticipated your class identity shifting later in your life, perhaps even knowing that you would be someone with a public profile?
2: Well, I, I really distinctly remember having a conversation with, in my auntie's living room uh, when I was maybe like, I don't know, like four, 15 or something and saying, I want to be like Sex and the City. You know, like I, you know, that there are people out there. And also, so this is the other thing as well that I've realized recently that when I was, grow- when we were growing up, right, I-, I don't know about you, but I felt this sense of things were getting better, right? We were getting more rights and uh, people were living longer and living standards were going up and uh, more people were going to university. And it- I just always felt like, it was this upward. Things are getting bit by bit by bit by bit by bit by bit by bit, by bit better, and then obviously the financial crash hit in two thousand and eight, and it was like, oh great, there's no future, and uh, it just feels like things have got worse and worse and worse since then in in many ways. Um, but I I had this uh, very strong sense that I could do anything, you know, and that. Well, I could go to London and I will have a booker and I'll mix it with celebrities and politicians and I just I I just didn't have uh didn't I didn't have any sort of like limitations. I was like, why can't I do that? Um and, and and I I remember saying to people, I want it all. Um I'm going to have I want to taste everything that life can offer. And I just always had this idea that I was going to be like this most important person ever, having this most fabulous life and that's exactly what I did uh no joking aside you know but um and I don't know where I got that I don't really don't know where I got that from really but I just always assumed that I would I would go and write for Vogue one day or 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 do something like that so it's 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 weird and I think you know one of the things of the book is is escape and one of the ways that I escaped was uh reading and the other one was television right and I think I was very precocious from a young age I think I realized quite early on because I was, you know, very intelligent for a child. My, my dad would say this, he was like, you were just like, you know, from the age of 10, like you would just run rings around adults kind of thing. And I must have honestly just been a nightmare. Um, but I, I was so sure that, oh dear, I'm different. And that's going to be particularly difficult for me here in this town. And I remember seeing like people who lived differently on television, like people who lived in like houses with loads of books um, that spoke posher and seem to be, they seem to celebrate creativity and sensitivity more. It seemed to be a less violent world, uh, and they seem to go to universities like Cambridge and and Oxford. And I didn't really understand class because I sort of I remember people saying, "Oh, you know, we live in a classless society now," which is ridiculous. But but I desperately wanted to be middle class, desperately because I just instinctively knew that my life would be easier without the extra layer of oppression and and the sort of maybe hmm how can i say not so not so sophisticated ideas that that some of the people around me had when they were giving me a knuckle sandwich on the way home from school probably would have happened at boarding school to be honest but um in my head you know there was, there was this other world i just think i was always meant to live my life in a very open way and i think that comes from everybody in my hometown knowing who i was you know, because I was so different and, you know, uh, exotic to them.
1: I read your article for Vogue titled Visibility Isn't Enough, and in it you write, as hostility against the trans community continues, sometimes I can't help dreaming about moving abroad and sidestepping these, inadvertent commas, debates about what it means to be a woman, to simply go and be one. You seem to appear on TV debates less these days, and I'm assuming this is a conscious decision because it must have been super pressurizing and also really exhausting.
2: I think you know when I went on question time like back in the day so like I think the first time was like 2013 um number one I was like really young and like working class that was terrifying by itself and then like being an openly trans person which I did feel this huge responsibility because at that time there just simply weren't any trans people in the public eye that were in that sort of um, I don't want to say not taken seriously because you know there were there had been people like Nadia Ramada who I just absolutely loved and still love and thought she was absolutely fantastic, um, but in in terms of sort of like going on news night or appearing in broadsheets and things like that, and so I felt this huge pressure, huge, 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 you know, because I was essentially the only person with. A public profile at that at, at that time you know um in in that sort of space and now you know we've got Laverne Cox we've got loads of people here you know I don't feel like I need to get involved in every single debate because if I don't respond to it other people will and also life is short I just I can't react to every single thing and you know Renia Lodge said it's not, I always feel like I'm name dropping when I when I mention her but um she she said to me the the other week um you know it's not natural to be in this this state of fight or flight for your whole life and you know that's how I got my public profile is I wanted to speak up and I wanted to speak out against this stuff but you know do I want to spend the rest of my life arguing with people not really, no. Arguing with uh, arguing with old men on Newsnight. That comment that I'd, I'd made in the article is because i just got back from holiday. I'd literally just spent like a, a, a week like driving around Europe in, in a car with my friends. Just having a really nice time and not even thinking or talking about being trans and just going into bakers and asking for bread and all the cakes and just eating all the cakes and going swimming in a lake and everything and just like forgetting that I'm trans and then I come back to the UK and I log into my social media and it's like people are talking about should I be allowed to use the toilets or you know you're this you're that or you you're and I'm just like, I don't even, it it's so, it's just so bizarre to me because, in it, you know, touch wood, you know, I feel like I, I blend in, shall we say. I think passing is quite a, a problematic concept, but, you know, generally people, you know, don't don't want to jinx myself, you know, go about my business and people perceive me as a woman, right? So it's just weird to me because... I can't seem to go online without you know hearing that I'm basically a monster and the you know respons- responsible for all of these problems in society and it and I do just think God shall I just move to a different country and just never think about this ever again because why would you opt into it if you didn't have to but obviously I'm not going to do that and I have chosen to live my my life publicly and um, I just hope that by being honest by hopefully being successful. So everybody go out by the book, please. Let's get me onto the top of the Sunday Times bestsellers list because that would just end transphobia like that. Just showing people that I'm just a person. I'm just a nice person, hopefully. I'm not perfect, but maybe that will make some people think that what they're hearing about the big bad transgender threat is not true, Absolutely. Categorically, just not true. I heard you
1: say in an interview that your life is 90% self-care. So tell me more about this statement and perhaps the kind of things you do to make yourself feel better when you've had a bit of a bleh
2: day. I, I would just like to come out on this podcast. I am pizza sexual. I'm absolutely <laughs> obsessed with pizza. I eat way too much pizza. Um, like, I had a really horrible horrible childhood and really horrible adolescence, and so i'm like I, I i i need a sort i need like a sort of life version of a pizza so i'm like i i just I, I need to have like the most fantastically luxurious wonderful, fabulous life now to sort of counteract the crap at the beginning and that's that's my sort of i need to tip i need to make my life so Wonderful now that it it tips the seesaw and the scales that it's been like good overall does that make sense totally totally is that crazy? I feel like that's a really crazy selfish ridiculous thing to say, but no, I think it's iconic one other thing that's that i'm I'm really big on is um a luxury candle oh <gasps> I knew you'd love this I knew you'd love this
1: which one tell me which one can you say can you say which one are you affiliated well, with can, the I, brand? can I
2: just say can I just say I thought I was really fancy right because I was I and I and I do love them I do love them um, but I was I was obsessed with a uh, diptyque for a bit but I've recently I've recently I've recently discovered um Sire Trudon
1: never heard of them what is this
2: I am going to show you. Hang on one second.
1: it sounds like some kind of magic.
2: This is some good shit. Oh, for goodness' sake! Look at We've this. Got and gold and so they used they used they used to make um, they used to make candles for like the the monarchy. Like it's it's one of the oldest candle makers in the world, and um, they like they just I mean it's the Rolls Royce of candles that like, they just smell amazing and you know I don't really drink now so like I might crack one of these open and, and and they last as well, and you can use them, and I use them as makeup brush holders, and uh, it's a little, it's a little, um, it's a little treat, and it's, and that's part of my self-care, and also the thing that you were saying before about, you know, the self-care thing, I got in trouble recently, because um, Abigail Thorne, the YouTuber, um, was, was, is fantastic, you know, does Philosophy Tube, does these great video essays, she said that when she met me, she had this uh, cheap uh, uh, fake YSL handbag, and I had the real thing. And all of these people were having a go and saying, Oh, yeah, you know, um, you capitalist, or, you know, oh, you think. Did that's- you tweet this? I feel like I saw this on your Twitter or something. I, 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 I tweeted because I, I said, You know, I see these bishops coming, right? And then some, somebody else replied with like the perfect, which would have been a much funnier response. They said, Handbags at dawn. <laughs> and I thought oh that's what you should have tweeted out right and I was thinking hang on a minute right hang on right I don't I. it's not a it's not a it's not a fucking car or a house right it's, it's a handbag and it's literally the most expensive thing that I own that I bought myself as a treat when I became a contributing editor for British Vogue which was quite a big deal for me and it's like just I don't have anything. just let me have a bag and actually my 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 socialism is that I want everybody to have a wire bags. <laughs> so just let me I don't I don't own a home I'm not likely to anytime soon let me have my fucking side trudon candles and my YSL handbags because honestly it's self-care okay
1: let Paris's life be a pizza okay
2: I would I would die on that hill I swear a YSL handbag is (laughs) self-care
1: okay let us start to to wrap up I would love to do a quick quick fire with you is that okay
2: Yeah, ask me anything. I've got no shame. Let's do it. Quickfire with
1: Paris: breakfast, lunch, or dinner?
2: Oh, uh, lunch.
1: Tea or biscuits?
2: Oh, tea. I'm a right tea belly.
1: Fish and chips or mushy peas with
2: mint sauce? We see mushy peas is very Nottingham. I'm going. I'm going to say fish and chips. Gin and both? No, both. I want both. I refuse to choose both. Gin and tonic or champagne? Champagne. Champagne or pizza? (sighs) Pizza.
1: Dress up or dress down? I'll dress up. Music festival or literary festival?
2: Literary festival, come on.
1: All Saints or sugar babes?
2: (gasps) All Saints.
1: Madonna or Maloco?
2: oh, oh. Oh, um shit oh I'm gonna have to say Ma- I'm gonna have to say Madonna just because like she's just iconic but I love Maloko. stay in or go out usually I would say stay in but I'm gonna say go out after a year of lockdown I might like, just take me dancing now
1: sunrise or sunset
2: sunset
1: routine or spontaneity
2: spontaneity
1: and finally, early night or night owl? Night owl. I thought you'd say that. That was quick fire with Paris. Is there anything that you've read, listened to or watched recently that you can't stop thinking about, loved or would recommend?
2: I I, I know I sound so pretentious, but like genuinely I have become ob- obsessed with French crime dramas because you know like they always set them in like remote places right
1: I don't watch them Paris like, I, well, I literally don't know <laughs> yeah
2: but you've watched quite yeah yeah but you've watched crime dramas in the UK right yes it's and it's the same thing except that it's like it's got the Alps in the background like or like the Ardennes or like you know just just gorgeous like south of France and I'm obsessed with it and I think also I watch these things for escapism and um and it just adds an extra layer of escapism the fact that it's in a, a different country but it's like kind of similar enough to us that it doesn't feel like completely it feels familiar um and and so I, I watched a show called The Chalet and it started as this cascade so I've been watching a show called Engrenage, which I think was called Spiral they actually uh, BBC4 aired it um I've been watching um I've actually got like a Canal Plus subscription now. And it's like, there's loads of really good stuff that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And there's some stuff on Netflix as well. So there's got English subtitles. What, was it, what would be your number one? And I'll watch it. I'll 100% watch it. I'm going to say, I'm going to say on No, but okay, to start you off, that's hard because you have to pay for that on iTunes. I'm going to say, I really enjoyed Zone Blanche on Netflix. I think it's called White, White Zone or Black Zone, Black Spot in English on Netflix.
1: I'm going to watch it. So you, could,
2: you can watch it today, yeah. Might not be your cup of tea, but it's it's a bit of a supernatural. It's a bit like Twin Peaks.
1: Oh, cool, it's okay. Be,
2: yeah, yeah, if you like that, you'll like this. Yeah, it's cool. Fantastic recommendation. It's really dark as well, so let me know what you think of it.
1: If you could advise listeners to do or try one small thing today, to help them find joy and dreaminess, what would it be?
2: Express gratitude to somebody that you are grateful for, but perhaps haven't told them recently, or maybe ever.
1: I love that. That's such a good one. And finally, I would love to know what is one thing you hope your older self
2: will have achieved. I, I, I mean, I am my older self. <laughs> I keep thinking what the person in this book would have made of me because I just used to go out and take speed on Friday nights, and I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to have a bath of essential oils now. But um, older me, I think. Uh, I would like some stability. I would like to own uh I would like to own a house and somewhere that I can I can write books and I would like to have contributed something meaningful to people's lives and and listen, I just think life is really hard for everybody, you know, whether you're whoever you are, you know, some some days just getting out of bed is really difficult. And I think if you're dealing with other stuff on top of that, dealing with misogyny, you're dealing with transphobia, you're dealing with racism, all of these different things, it's like a lot of people are really struggling. A lot of people have a lot of trauma that they haven't been able to deal with. And if if the energy that I put into the world, if my writing, my books, my ideas have helped anybody you know, to find some joy and, and, and maybe some understanding and maybe some shared experience, um, I'll be very happy with that. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much. It's honestly just been such, such an honour to talk to you. I feel very, very, very lucky and
2: very privileged. Thank you so much for all your kind words. I really, really appreciate it. And it's just, it's so overwhelming. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode and a huge thank you to Paris for coming on the show. Please do order yourself a copy of her book. You can find a link in the episode notes. And you can always share this episode on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Venetia LaManna and tagging at ATST Podcast. See you next week.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.